The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Realm presents Gods and Lies, Season 2, Episode 4. Taking the keys I'd stolen from Father Liam, Andy fitted them into the doors of Celebina's treasure room and swung them open. We rushed inside and locked the doors behind us in case Father Liam came back. I turned around and groaned. It felt like all the wine I'd been forced to drink had collected inside my skull. Even turning too fast caused everything to whirl and slosh around. Blinking against the glaring fluorescent lighting, I stared at the room in front of me, not quite sure what I was seeing. Beyond the gilded magnificence of the doors, the interior of Celebina's Lost and Found was so normal I almost did a double take. It didn't look like a sacred treasure room. It looked more like a warehouse, with rows upon rows of industrial metal shelving stacked to the ceiling with clear plastic bins. This is... less exciting than I was expecting, I admitted. I stepped forward and started clumsily investigating some of the bins. Which items are from the Golden Gala? Andy asked. I don't know. When the world wasn't spinning too fast, I actually felt pretty good, but it was hard to concentrate. I'm not seeing any labels or dates, just a whole bunch of stuff. Weird stuff, but some of it has to be useful. I approached one of the shelves and hefted the nearest bin, pulling off its lid. At first glance, it looked like it was filled with abandoned left shoes. How does the goddess keep all this straight? Behind me, I heard this scrape of plastic against metal, like Andy was doing the same. Maybe she doesn't keep them straight. When all this gets burned at the end of the year, what's the point? But what if someone comes looking for what they lost? I asked. Anything left behind during a Celebina shindig is considered tribute. In layman's terms, finders keepers. Well, shit, I said. Yeah, shit, Andy said. The expletive bounced back at me in a myriad of echoes from Celebina's massive lost and found. What are we supposed to do now? I glanced up and down the rows of shelving. The bins were transparent, which helped some, but how were we to tell which items came from the fateful party where Argamnos had been poisoned? 
Thanks to the goddesses, we had a better timeline of Argamnos's last night as himself. I tried to sort through it in my head, but the pieces kept rearranging themselves like a shell game. Argamnos came to the party. Argamnos was poisoned down by the docks. There was dancing. There were exploding trees. At some point, he got into a huge fight with Andy, but not in that order. The one thing I did know was that Argamnos never left the party. Not in his right mind, anyhow. Whatever happened to him happened right here in this temple. There had to be some clues in this room. There just had to be. I started walking up and down the aisles of the chamber, my footsteps echoing hollowly in the enormous space as I peered into the clear plastic bins. Purses, watches, sunglasses ranging from designer to discount store, an entire bin of abandoned piercings for pretty much every hole a person would willingly punch in themselves. Music boxes, snuff boxes, cereal boxes, hypodermic needles, crochet needles. A goat tethered at the end of a row bawed at me. Who forgets a whole goat? What seemed like miles behind me, I heard Andy sigh. Iris, stop. What? You need to stop. I stared at him, incredulous. What? Why? Because we're not going to find anything, Iris. He waved his hands around the place. Look around you, we are fucked. Completely, pantheonically fucked. Can you wait until I sober up a bit more before you start freaking out? As hard as I tried to remain calm, I couldn't keep my voice from spiking up at the end. Andy scrubbed his hands over his face. We have so little time and this just feels so pointless. Prickly heat crawled up my throat. If I hadn't already puked my guts out, I would have thought I was going to. Pointless? Okay then, sexy merman with a plan, why don't we talk about something important? Like, what was your problem with Argamnos? Did you just call me sexy merman? Yikes, that was an inside voice name, not an outside voice name. Stop deflecting. I told you I didn't poison him. That's not what I asked. I've now spoken to several immortals who can't stop talking about how you hated Argamnos's guts. But every time I bring it up with you, you distract me. Because it's not important, Andy shot back. You don't get to decide that. Not if you really want us to be partners. Partners trust each other. Guilt flashed in his eyes. My blow had hit home. What do you want me to tell you? That he was an asshole? That he got off on making my childhood a living hell to make himself look better in front of my mom? How does that help this case? It fills in the picture. I said. I rubbed my temples. It was so hard to think like this. Look, I get that this is like a sensitive topic, but the Grimmers scared the shit out of me. I don't want them to eat me. Or you. We need all the clues we can get. What if something about that fight could help us? Andy laughed. It wasn't a happy laugh. I don't even remember what our damn fight was about. Isn't that just the dumbest thing? I remember crashing the Golden Gala. I cut it up on that dance floor. I stood under those glitter cannons. But by the time the fight happened, I was so out of it, it could have been about anything. 
does Celebina bless pity parties now? Because... Wait. A few more puzzle pieces clicked into place, and the picture I was looking at changed dramatically. Andy, that's it. What's it? The cannons, I said. Celebina mentioned cannons going off. You're telling me they were glitter cannons? Understanding dawned on his face before it erupted into a grin. Yes. Every guest who arrived was doused with golden glitter. That shit got everywhere. Hair, clothes. I had gold dust in my underwear for three days afterward. If anything here is from the Golden Gala, it'll probably be the same. Now we're getting somewhere. Look for anything that glitters. I moved to one aisle, Andy to another, as we searched through the rows of bins. We didn't have a lot of time, and we still didn't know what we were looking for, but the glitter gave us a lead, at least. Every time we saw a telltale gleam sparkling at us from inside a plastic bin, we added it to a slowly growing pile. I wiped more sweat off my forehead, the glitter on my hands scraping against my skin. Moving aside a heavy leather jacket with bright blue epaulets, a little gold-dusted baggie fell out of the inside pocket. I picked it up to investigate. Inside the clear baggie were six violet-tinted gel caps. A glitter-dusted business card stapled to the outside read, Forget me lots. Take one to forget an evening. Two to forget my name. Three to forget yours. Forget me lots. Argamnos had been poisoned with the waters of Oblim, the spring of forgetfulness. Drinking that had made him forget his entire life, everything he was. Could this be connected? Andy? I held it out for his inspection as he came over. Know what these are? And what they do? He dangled the bag in front of his face, his gaze flickering over it. More party favors. I found three or four baggies in a couple of coats and purses, but not with a card attached. I'm not familiar with forget-me-lots. His eyes narrowed. Do you take a lot of drugs? I blurted. Damn, I missed my internal filter. I don't partake anymore, Andy said. At least not the hard stuff, but it pays to stay apprised. Never heard of this one, but I gotta admit, their sales pitch is awfully suspicious. Think it might be connected to whatever erased Argamnos' memories? Only one way to find out. Andy eyed the pills. Before I could stop him, he bit one in half and swallowed it. Are you out of your damned mind? I snatched the baggie back. You don't even know what that is. What what is? Come on, man, I said. It's hard enough for me to do this drunk. We don't need you getting high as well. Andy was staring at me like I was the one who'd gone crazy. High off of what? I didn't take anything. My scalp prickled with awareness and my senses focused. I grabbed his wrist. His pulse point fluttered gently beneath my thumb. I watched his eyes and breathed in the musty air of the lost and found. Describe everything you remember about the last three minutes. We were looking for items connected with the Golden Gala, and that's kind of it. Andy's pulse remained stable, but I could feel his hesitation in the tension of his muscles. Did something happen? I took a deep breath. 
trepidation and excitement mingling in my veins and flashed the baggie in front of his face. You took half a pill. That's what happened. His eyes scanned over the card. Forget me, Lutz. Never heard of this one, but I gotta admit their sales pitch is awfully suspicious. I patted Andy on the back. We've had this conversation before. Oh, wow. That is unsettling, Andy said. And I forgot, like, immediately? Pretty much. I marched down the aisle toward the great double doors. That all happened from half a pill. Imagine what would happen if you took a handful. Or more. Scrambling through the bins, we found more examples of the pills amid Celebina's forgotten treasures. Not all in neat little bags, but the gel caps came up everywhere. In pockets, in purses. Some of them were dusted in gold glitter, but many weren't. Meaning whoever had been dealing this drug had dealt at more than one party. So what do we do now? Andy asked. We call in a favor. I took my phone out of my pocket. Some of the tension that had been clawing at the back of my neck started to ease. This was it. Our big lead. If this was what had erased our gamnos, this could solve our whole case. I'm just going to start with the bad news first, Amelia said. These pills couldn't have taken out our gamnos. Beside me, Andy deflated like a punctured balloon. I wasn't as convinced. Are you sure? The Mortex waved her arms, indicating her cavern-like office in the lower levels of the Temple of Death. You're in my house now. I know what I'm talking about. After slipping out of Celebina's Lost and Found, we dumped the keys in a planter and reunited with Father Liam, armed with the excuse that we'd been looking for a bathroom. He'd been eager to get rid of us by then and had asked no questions as we hightailed it out of the temple. We'd called up the death priestess soon after that and had spent three tense hours waiting for the analysis results to come back. And for me to sober up, my mouth was still gritty from the chalky hangover preventative Amelia had given me, but at least my mind was now clear. What's the good news, then? The good news is that these pills do, in fact, contain oblem, just an incredibly controlled, purified amount, probably only enough to erase a specific memory or stretch of time. Andy tried half a pill and lost about 30 seconds right off the bat, I said. Amelia nodded. For a god, Argamnos was on the younger side, just past his first millennium, but he still would have had a lot of memories. He'd need to swallow a hundred thousand of these to explain the power washing his brain went through. So all this was for nothing? Andy said. Amelia brushed her hot pink braid off her shoulder. So dramatic. Just because these pills aren't your murder weapon, or memory-erasing weapon, doesn't mean this isn't a big deal. You can't just pick up the waters of Oblem at the supermarket. The spring's location is a pantheon secret, and even then, you can't approach it without an official seal. And even then, it's supposedly tended by a powerful guardian. The gods are super serious about who's allowed to use the water and why, and I'm pretty sure that party drugs don't make that list. 
So whoever is behind these pills obviously has access to the spring or at least a reliable source, I said. Stands to reason they'd have enough of the raw waters on hand to get rid of our gamnos that way. All wasn't lost. We still had a lead. All we had to do was find out who was behind the pills. There's one thing I don't get, Amelia said, scanning the analysis results again. These pills don't get you high, they don't calm you down, they don't induce visions, they don't ease pain. Nothing in the chemical makeup of forget-me-lots indicates these things do anything except make you forget. I understand wanting to erase an embarrassing memory or two, but how does that work as a party drug? I picked up one of the baggies we'd collected and rolled the little violet-tinted pills around in the palm of my hand. One... To forget an evening. Beside me, I heard Andy stir. Novelty. That seems a little extreme, I said. Think about it. The Pantheon is one big, messy family of diverse deities, all with different needs, desires, motives. But the one thing that unites them all is the desire for novelty. They crave it. They chase it. They go crazy for it, and who can blame them? When you're tens of thousands of years old, what's new anymore? Two, to forget my name. I was starting to catch on. If they can make themselves forget about a specific thing, they get that first-time experience all over again, as many times as they want. Half the Pantheon would pay any price to get their hands on that, Andy said. Three, to forget yours. That gives us means. But is there a motive in there? I asked. Maybe Argamnos was using, but he couldn't pay? Nah, he'd never take that kind of risk, Andy said. Argamnos is barely a god. The only reason he made the cut was because his dad called in a favor. He's utterly dependent on the higher gods for approval and recognition. If he lost that, he'd have nothing. Sounds kind of sad, said Amelia. Sad? Oh no, not Argamnos. If the higher-ups in the Pantheon looked down their noses at him, he was just as bad to the people below him. Worse, even. If you couldn't benefit him in some way, then you were worthless, and he made sure you knew it. He was a parasite. Bitterness seeped into his words until by the end of his speech... He was practically spitting them. Silence pooled in the room. Um, wow, said Amelia, her jaw hanging open. Tell us how you really feel. Even Andy seemed surprised by his own vehemence. Look, we weren't friends. So maybe he wasn't the type to indulge, I cut in, suddenly feeling a need to fill the silence before Andy filled it with more surprising vitriol. I'd never heard him talk about anyone that way, not even relic dealers. But would he be the type to snitch? Uncovering a drug ring would buy him a lot of points with the three mothers. Maybe he found out about forget-me-lots and who was supplying them, so the dealers shut him up permanently. Now that I would believe. I wish we could get back into the Temple of Revels, I said. From the number of baggies we found in Celebina's Lost and Found... It's clear at least some of the dealers are operating out of there. As soon as I said that, 
some of the darkness in Andy's eyes evaporated, and a playful grin flitted about his lips. Your wish is my command. He reached into his pocket and brought out the two invitations to tonight's celebratory soiree. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. After spending the next few hours getting ready, we took a cab back to the Temple of Revels. Even a god would have had trouble finding a parking space within ten blocks of the place. I could hear the bass line from a mile away. By the time our vehicle made it past the temple gates and into the line of cars awaiting ballet service, I could feel it in my molars. My fingers started to tap nervously against my leg as I craned my neck to look out the window. At the last intersection, I thought I'd spotted a flock of winged shapes following our cab. More Grimmers? If so, they were keeping their distance. They knew the same thing we did. After the next sunrise, we only had one more to find out who really poisoned our damnos. We couldn't waste this chance. You ready? I asked Iris. We'd had to rush to find clothing suitable for a party of Celebina's caliber, but we hadn't done too badly. I wore an aqua blazer over a black silk dress shirt, with my hair pulled back into a low queue. Iris wore a matching sequined dress that she'd borrowed from Amelia, but she kept plucking at it nervously, clearly itching to pull the hemline lower. We both wore plain black half masks to correspond with the masquerade theme. As ready as I'll ever be, Iris replied. Do you have your forget me lots? In my inside pocket, you? Yes, but I had to improvise. This dress doesn't have pockets. I gave myself a shake before my imagination veered completely off course. We're on the job. Save the naughty thoughts for later. Our driver finally pulled up to the front, and a novice dressed in a colorful valet's uniform approached and opened the door. As Iris stepped out of the cab, the movement made the blue sequins on her dress shimmer and swish, as if Iris was the creature from the sea and I was the luckless survivor gasping on land. The skirt rode up scandalously high, exposing a smooth length of leg, stopping just short of exposing anything else. When she turned, the colors spun and sparkled as her hands floated down and placed themselves on her hips. Oh man, those naughty thoughts were not going away anytime soon. What are you waiting for? Another invitation? She demanded. Shit, I was staring. I slid across the seat, scrambling. I tripped over the curb and nearly face-planted onto the red carpet. I caught myself just in time. Smooth, Iris said. You'd think you'd been doing this for years. You have no idea, I said. I snapped my lapels, trying to bring at least a semblance of confidence back. I was the black sheep party boy of the Pantheon, This was supposed to be my element. If I let myself get distracted and we lost a vital chance here tonight, Iris would suffer the same fate waiting for me. Why did I keep forgetting that? 
Iris looped her arm through mine as we joined the throngs of other guests behind the golden velvet ropes that cordoned off the red carpet. After a few minutes, we made it to the front of the line. Invitations? The bouncer priest asked. I withdrew the gilt-edged invitations from my inside pocket. Weapons or relics? We've got... Nothing, Iris interrupted. Go ahead, check us. The bouncer brought a rose-tinted orb out of his pocket that shot out a mist of light across both of us. He nodded. You're clear. Enjoy the evening in Celebina's name. I waited until we were out of earshot before asking, You didn't bring your oak? I can take care of myself, Iris said. Besides, you saw what the bouncer did. I would have had to check it, and then I'd be outed as a justix. Don't you need it to tell when people are lying? I asked. Iris shook her head. With so many gods and demigods here, it would only work half the time. I'll just use my instincts, the same as everyone else. She tilted her face up to mine. So, is this the part where you give me advice on how one acts during these things? Or make a rousing speech or whatever? She kept her tone light, but to my shock, the arm looped through mine trembled slightly. Her lips remained plastered in a plastic smile, but her upper lip shimmered with sweat. Was Iris afraid? The same Justix who chased down perps every day, who beat relic dealers to a pulp, who had faced down an angry title goddess. Afraid? Of a party? We'll probably want to mingle first, get the lay of the land before we start asking questions about the pills. These types of shindigs can get a bit rowdy, but it's not that different from a lot of human parties, really. Her grip tightened. And what if one's experience with human parties is also minimal? Oh. As we headed deeper into the temple, the ground practically vibrated under our feet with the music's beat. Don't make a big deal of it, Iris hissed. I wrapped an arm around her shoulders. Gods, she was tense everywhere. I know this goes against your sacred code, but the first thing I'm going to suggest you do is relax. Loosen up a little. People reveal their true selves at parties like this. All we have to do is watch, listen, ask a few careful questions. You make it sound so easy. I've had a lot of practice. Stick with me and follow my lead. Rows of shapely golden statues pointed our way to a cavernous ballroom. At one end, a DJ spun atop a fortress of stereo equipment. He had two sets of arms, one natural, one crafted from jade and silver, probably a gift from his patron. And he used all four to feverishly shuffle records, turn dials, and maintain a hypnotic beat I could feel on the back of my eyeballs. Waves of sweaty, thrashing dancers swelled and broke against the potency of his music. At the other end of the room, the extravagant marble altar of Celebina had been converted into an efficient and well-stocked bar, and a troop of priests distributed vodka cranberries and pitchers of ambrosia to a crowd of four people deep. Miniature chariots driven by enchanted peacocks whizzed back and forth, distributing more food and drink and collecting empty glasses. Iris's mouth fell open. I've never been invited to a party like this before. Oh, this is only one part of it. There are probably all sorts of shenanigans going on throughout the temple. We'd only left the temple a few hours previously, but in that short amount of time, the whole building had been transformed. That was the power of a true revel. 
Where do we even start? Think of it like a spiral, I suggested. Begin on the outskirts and work our way in. We slipped out of the ballroom and into the corridor, passing numerous couples in various stages of inebriation and procreation, until I spotted a side room and ducked into it. The rumbling beat was somewhat muted here. Plush velvet couches clustered around low tables decorated with shot glasses, and several partygoers were splayed across them, gulping down hard lemonade and passing around lines of violet powder on a small hand mirror. Next to me, Iris tensed and, as her eyes flickered around the room, I could practically see her brain tabulating just how illegal everything was. A minor goddess was holding court on the longest of the couches. Phileth something or other, I thought. Of the Sky Mother's line, but too many generations down to have much cash outside a small but dedicated cult. Her golden skin sparkled and shimmered, and wreaths of actual clouds obscured her face and the more scandalous aspects of her figure. She seemed like a good person to start with. Not a nobody, but not enough of a somebody to be worried about. These seats taken? I asked, indicating a love seat two nymphs had just vacated. Phyllis giggled. <laughs> Knock yourselves out. I jerked my chin at the violet powder. Mind if I have a bump? This is Pantheon quality dream dust. What's in it for me, mortals? Iris and I exchanged a glance. She nodded slightly. I reached into the inside pocket of my blazer and pulled out the forget-me lots. What happened next happened astonishingly quickly. Phyllis shot off the couch as if I had pointed a gun at her, snatched the baggie out of my hands, and squealed. She showed the pills to her followers. Two burly satyrs, a dryad, and a minor hearth deity. And then they squealed. Pretty soon, everyone was squealing. Where did you get these? The goddess cried. Oh, you must tell me. I winked. Come now, I can't give up all my secrets. You're going to make me beg, aren't you, you wicked thing? Who is your contact? Where can I get more? Beside me, Iris squirmed, and her fingers drifted toward the hemline of her dress as if to pull it down. At the last second, she resisted the impulse. What about your own contact? Is he not keeping you supplied? Phyllis's eyes narrowed, and her clouds darkened from pearly white to silvery gray. My contact barely remembers his own name, much less where to get more of these. No one's been able to find these pills for months. Where have you been? Traveling, I said, trying to cover for Iris's faux pas. I kept a few pills stashed away. I hadn't realized the market dried up. The plastic baggie crinkled in the goddess's fingers. As she batted her eyelashes at me, she slowly tried to work a few capsules out of the bag without being noticed. I decided to let this pass without comment. It was all very mysterious. I mean, I was used to reintroducing myself to my contact every time I saw him. Apparently, if you're handing it out, you're also required to take some yourself at the end of the night. Interesting. If the people dealing forget-me-lots used it themselves, then they couldn't remember and rat out their accomplices, or whoever was supplying them with the oblum. Smart move, maybe too smart. How could we interrogate people who didn't remember? Finally, about eight months ago, I came to him for a dose, and he didn't remember forget-me-lots at all. 
It was the same for all my friends, at every party. It was as if those pills had never existed. Eight months ago, around the time Argamnos had been poisoned, maybe almost getting caught by the messenger god had convinced the dealers it wasn't worth the risk. But I found it hard to believe that the makers of a drug this in demand by gods and mortals alike would simply give it up without trying to find some kind of workaround. Phyllis sidled closer to me on the couch, her clouds diffusing to the tempting transparency of gauze. So, how many of those pills did you say you had saved? Before I could answer, a cold, watery hand clamped down on my shoulder. I craned my neck around and spotted a familiar war nymph standing behind me. Leona? I said, trying to inject a dose of apologetic charm into my voice. Fancy meeting you here? I've been looking for you, the nymph said. She glared at Iris, and the fingertips digging into my shoulder froze into icy points. Awkward. I appreciate that, I said, but I'm covered by the right of old justice, at least for now. That's unfortunate, but I didn't seek you out on the Sea Mother's behalf. I sought you out on his. She gestured with a lift of her chin, and I turned back around and found myself craning my neck up, way up, to face the god glaring down at me. His skin was the color of crushed salt his eyes the gray of the sea mirroring a storm cloud. He wore an open helm and form-fitting armor forged from living pink coral, with chunks of yellow aragonite glittering here and there. There was only one god I knew who could wear full battle armor to a party and still look relatively cool, the son of the Tempest. Benrux, um, hey, you're looking good. In a flash, Phyllis and the others ducked out of the room like a pack of scared rabbits. Don't even start, Banrooks growled. He picked up the bag of pills that Phyllis had discarded on the table and sniffed it like a hunting hound. His grimace deepened, and he jerked a finger at Iris. This is a private conversation. Leave us. Iris glanced at me, her posture stiffening in defiance, until Leona wrapped a translucent arm around her and frog-marched her out of the room. Banrox and I had been friends once, a long time ago. Well, long for me. Probably an eye-blink for him. He was a god, supposedly. During an argument 2,000 years ago, the Sea Mother and the Sky Mother had whipped up a massive tempest during their squabble that had threatened to destroy the entire world and rend a hole in the fabric of reality just another rowdy Saturday night in the Pantheon. After they had reconciled and the Tempest had dissolved, a crying baby had been discovered in the wreckage. That was Banrux. He had all the powers and immortality of a god, but no one knew his parentage exactly. Was he from the Sea Mother or the Sky Mother? Was he even a god at all? The Sea Mother had eventually taken him under her wing, and when I'd come along, unwilling and ungrateful and angry, He'd tried to do the same for me. He knew what it was like to be different in the Pantheon, to not know where you fit, to have to forge your own path. But that hadn't lasted long. Banrux's path involved becoming an Inquisitor, sort of like the godly equivalent of a Justix, but exclusively for Pantheon business. To be worthy of the title, he made himself into an extension of the Three Mothers' sword arms. Obedient, flawless, reliable. Me? 
I saw no reason to waste my precious mortal days striving for something so fickle and impermanent as my mother's approval. So I'd given up, and he'd given up on me. What are you doing here? I asked. Instead of sitting down to join me, he fisted a hand in the collar of my blazer and hauled me to my feet. With his other hand, he pressed the bag of pills into my face, like I was a dog being confronted with the accident I made on the rug. Where in the hells did you get this? A gentleman never tells. This isn't a joke, Antimion, Banrock said. He closed his stony fist around the pills, crushing them with the merest flex. I realize news doesn't travel as swiftly in prison, but I've spent the better part of a year trying to track down the miscreants peddling this filth. Wait, you know about this? Have you figured out how they contain Oblin yet? For the first time in my memory, and perhaps the first time in his own existence, Banrux looked shocked. How do you know they contain Oblin? I think we're looking for the same thing, I said. Someone in the Pantheon is misusing Oblum, the same stuff they used to poison our Gamnos. If we find out who these dealers are, it could solve both our problems. I do not need your help. Your problems are your own affair, Banrux snapped. Then quieter, you should have stayed on the Wailing Isle. Banrux sounded disappointed in me. I'd disappointed him many times over the years, but for some reason, this resigned dismissal of me was enough to awaken an old, familiar anger. It sizzled through my veins, clenched my hands into fists. It was the same anger I felt every time the Sea Mother castigated me in front of her court, always with our Gamnos on the sidelines, smirking at a job well done. Banrux may not have been the bully that our Gamnos was, but he had no right to pretend he cared about me. I'm not going back to the Wailing Isle, I said. I know. I didn't poison our Gamnos either, I added, making no attempt to disguise the bitterness in my voice. I know. You probably think... Wait, what? You know. When our Gamnos was first discovered in that state, you were naturally the first person Mother wanted me to investigate. I found insufficient evidence to link you to the crime. At Banrux's words, I felt like I lost my center of gravity. Like an aimless soap bubble, I floated, weightless, helpless to the winds of whatever came next. When I finally found the words, they felt weightless as well. Then why? The Wailing Isle? Argamnos's erasure was an unusual case. It needed to be handled quietly, discreetly, Diaphrides made that impossible. Argamnos' mother? Banrux snorted. That preening, arrogant excuse for a sylph. There was no reasoning with her. Right from the beginning, she identified you as the culprit. While I couldn't account for your whereabouts at the time Argamnos went missing, I couldn't find any direct evidence either, but she wouldn't listen. She hates you just about as much as her son did. She thought the Pantheon's hesitation to punish you was yet another perceived slight against her son's godhood. So she made noise. She asked questions. Then she went to Argamnos's father, Ithides. He made noise. He asked questions. The three mothers had to find some way of keeping her quiet. My hackles rose. 
Tell me you're not saying what I think you're saying. Banrux reached out for me, almost imploringly, but I backed out of his grasp. The Wailing Isle is where gods go to get a slap on the wrist. It's practically a resort. You let the Pantheon make me a scapegoat? It was never going to be for forever, he reasoned. We just needed you out of the way until this wretched business with the waters of Oblin was solved. Discovering it was being exploited, commodified, weaponized against one of our own, it raised too many questions we did not have the answers for, and we cannot be seen to not have the answers, not where mortals are concerned. So you locked me up. We needed time. Yeah, well, time's the one thing I don't have right now. Only two sunrises left. I lifted my hand to show him the mark on my thumb from the right of Old Justice. Banrux hissed and jerked his gaze away, as if I had shown him something disgusting. Perhaps we could find some exception to the right, some loophole, he began, but I had heard enough. I don't need your help. Must you continuously indulge that mortal temper of yours? At one time, you considered me a brother. Yeah, I'm gonna pass. Haven't had a lot of luck with siblings lately. Without another word, I turned around and walked out of the room. You're listening to Gods and Lies Season 2 by Elizabeth Fail. Starring Carrie Height and Sarah Mallow Christensen. Produced by Realm, your portal to another world. Realm, listen away. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Gods and Lies is created and written by Elizabeth Vale. It is produced by Marco Palmieri and executive produced by Molly Barton. Audio production, sound design, editing, and theme music by Amanda Rose Smith.